Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we have together as your people freely and without persecution. Thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you died and rose again for our sins. I pray that as we listen to Dave explain your word, that you will give us understanding and that we will be able to respond to the wonderful truth that you conquered death through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. Today's Bible reading comes from John 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Good morning. Uh, my name's uh, Dave Shannon. I have the privilege of preaching from John 20 uh, this morning. Well, Michelangelo's David is a famous statue which stands in a gallery in Florence, Italy. Uh, a few years back, Emily and I had the privilege of seeing it. And I remember the morning before we went, I remember reading all about it in our travel guide. Uh, and did you know it's, it's five metres tall? It's carved out of a single block of white marble. And that the block of marble uh, was originally rejected by Donatello, another Ninja Turtle, 50 years uh, earlier because he thought there was a crack in it. Anyway, we arrived and we saw it and my mouth dropped. I was stunned by how big it was. It's over five metres tall. I had read about it, but that detail hadn't really stuck out to me. Uh, And it was, in fact, in seeing it in the flesh that it suddenly dawned on me on how big it actually is. It's like three of me standing on top of each other. It's huge. It's only as I saw it that I I could grasp the hugeness of it. I've read about it, but had missed this critical detail. But that's my own failing for not comprehending what I had read. Uh, We've been following along uh, the eyewitness testimony of John. 
Uh, we've seen Jesus as God in the flesh, who's shown us this by the remarkable things he's done. Water into wine, sight to the blind, healing a man unable to walk for 38 years, feeding masses of people with a couple of burger buns and a couple of sardines, raising someone from the dead. He's done things only God can do, showing us that he's God in the flesh. You see, Jesus also spoken about his mission, that he would suffer, that he would die a grueling death, being lifted up onto a cross and be buried, and that three days later, that he would rise from the dead. And you see, these things have been recorded to us, recorded for us by John, as he saw it, and that we get to hear it today. Well, you see, for the first eyewitnesses, seeing was believing. And our passage this morning is full of seeing. And from an eyewitness account, it makes sense uh, that we're told what they saw. Uh, For them, seeing was believing. But faith and trust believing, you see, that wasn't their their first thought. Have a look here at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary leaves Jerusalem in the security of the darkness as her cover. And I reckon that the darkness here is John showing us another contrast of, of darkness and light as he's done throughout the gospel. Mary is in the dark. She doesn't understand what is happening. She's blinded by darkness. And so seeing that the stone's been Removed from the tomb, verse 2, she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Remember, this is John, the one who wrote this account. And Mary, what she do? She, she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. See, Mary's not thinking resurrection. Absolutely no way. She's thinking grave robbers or ill play. And so verse 3, Peter and the other disciple, they started for the tomb. Peter and John, they they race to the tomb and John arrives first, but he doesn't go straight in, verse 5. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. There's enough light now there for John that he can look in and he can see, actually, there's no body there. There's just strips of linen lying about. Well, Peter arrives and he goes straight in, verse 6. And he saw strips of linen laying there, as well as cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in the place, separate from the linen. And the tombs, not quite empty. Sure, there's no body, but there's linen and cloth laying about. And here are our clues that this isn't a grave robber. The, the linen and spices were the valuable part that, that a robber would want to keep. They're the parts they would have taken. They would have left the body uh, and taken those things. And so it couldn't have been a grave robber. Uh, and it also shows us that the body hasn't been removed. Because if it was taken, they would have left the linen on the body. Because they have the, the... See, that's why they have the linen and spices there to help reduce the smell of a rotting corpse. They wouldn't have wanted to move the body without it, a stinking corpse? Do you really want to carry that around? No, 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 no. It can't have just been moved. 
And so verse 8, finally the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. You see, John sees the linen and cloth without a body and believes. He, he's considered to see before him and it leads him to believe. But you see, his faith here isn't a predetermined conviction. Like he knew this was going to happen and that he was always going to believe. You see, it wasn't always that case. It wasn't always. Remember that the disciples, they're hiding away. They're afraid that they're going to get arrested and treated like Jesus. They're hiding away when Mary comes to them. And when they go to the tomb to investigate, they're looking for a missing body. They're not thinking that he's risen from the dead. It's only after he sees the tomb and the, the linen laying about that he suddenly believes. The other thing we might think is that the disciples, well, they're just gullible. They're just naive fools because they believed that a dead guy would come back to life. I think that people back then, well, they were just like that. You see, they don't have the modern technology that we have to realise that, well, dead people don't rise from the dead. But you see, the ridiculousness, the craziness of a dead person coming back to life now well, that's exactly the same for them back then. Dead people didn't rise from the dead. And we see that in Mary, John and Peter here. They weren't expecting to see Jesus alive. Their hopes were dashed when Jesus was crucified. Remember, they're hiding away somewhere. They expected to find a dead body. But as John saw an empty tomb apart from the linen, well, he believed. But verse 19 is really interesting. Have a look here. They did not understand from Scripture, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. You see, Jesus, sorry, not Jesus, John. John writes this with hindsight. By the time he wrote this, he was aware that the Old Testament pointed to the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but that's as he wrote this account. At this particular point here in the tomb, John honestly tells us that he wasn't convinced from the scriptures. It's just that he saw it and believed. Peter and John, they, they needed to see that the tomb was empty. They were the eyewitnesses who could write it down on paper so that we could hear and believe for ourselves. They needed to see so that we could see and understand. But you see, his point about scripture, it's actually a really good one. He recognises that at that particular point in the tomb that his faith, there's an element of deficiency there. His faith was only based on, on seeing, not based on hearing the scriptures or based on what Jesus had already said. He admits the incompleteness of his faith at this point. You see, we see later in the chapter, as, as Jesus uh, speaks with, with Thomas, Thomas uh, has said that he wouldn't ever believe the disciples, uh, that Jesus has come back to life. He wouldn't believe unless he saw Jesus for himself. And when Jesus does finally appear to him, he says this, Because you see me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We won't ever see Jesus for ourselves. But we've heard about it through their eyewitness account. And by believing, Jesus tells us, we are blessed. 
to hear the scripture and believe, well, Jesus tells us this is a far superior faith rather than faith that is based on sight. You see, John would eventually land on a firmer faith, built on a surer foundation of the scriptures. He'd come to hear that the scriptures, that they pointed to the the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that's why he's written this account that we may believe. And that by believing, we may have life in his name. You see, they were eyewitnesses. They saw and believed, but wrote it down so that we'd have the scriptures too. And know that Jesus died and rose from the dead, fulfilling scripture in the process. And so now for us, as we read the Old Testament and we look back, we can see where Jesus' ministry, his death, his resurrection, well, it was foretold hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. And it's a bit like Star Wars movies. You know how the very first movies released in the 70s and 80s was numbers 4, 5, and 6? And then 20 years later, they released the first three movies, number 1, 2, and 3. And and those first three movies, what they do is they give us a bit of background information, a bit of background to to understand what happens in in numbers 4, 5, and 6. And here's a massive spoiler. I'm sure you've all seen it, but a massive spoiler. The first three show us how the bad guy, Darth Vader, how he turns bad. And I wonder if our reading of the Old Testament is a bit like this. We see here in the, in the New Testament that Jesus has risen from the dead. And as we go back and read the Old Testament, written hundreds, even up to thousand years before that time, Jesus was always going to re, uh, rise from the dead. And, and they point to this taking place and that we can see that better and clearer. For John... Seeing was believing. He saw the tomb, it was empty apart from the linen, and he believed. But it was a deficient faith, because it wasn't at this point founded on the scriptures. He'd seen and believed, but it wasn't based on hearing, which we will see next uh, in Mary. John saw the empty tomb. Uh, apart from the linen, and that led him to believe. Seeing was believing for John. But there was a deficiency to his faith at this point because it wasn't based on hearing the scriptures. And that's our next point. Hearing is believing. But Mary, well, she's not believing yet. She's outside the tomb in great anguish and despair for Jesus. She's crying and weeping, convinced that someone has taken his body. And as she bends down to look in the tomb, verse 12, she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They they asked her, Mary, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. She's in such despair and anguish, she's unable to see she's speaking with angels. And so they question, why are you crying? Well, this is asked from the viewpoint of the resurrection. You see, it's a gentle rebuke asking Mary to to set aside her anguish and pain and recognise the reality of, of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But you see, she's not there. She, she turns from looking at the to, in the tomb and, 
and looks out and, and sees Jesus standing there. But like many of the post-resurrection scenes of with Jesus, he's not recognized straight away. In fact, well, Mary, we see later that she thinks he's the gardener. And so Jesus asks Mary in verse 15, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Mary is still in the dark. She doesn't understand what's going on. Despite the empty tomb, despite the angels, despite seeing Jesus alive, she doesn't understand. And while that first questions are repeat of what the angels asked, that the second, who are you looking for? You see, Jesus here is inviting Mary to, to reflect on the kind of Messiah she's expecting and to think a lot wider than she does and see that she probably doesn't have, well, she doesn't have a high enough rate. She doesn't rate Jesus high enough. Sure, she was very devoted to Jesus. See, this first at the tomb, such sadness and grief, very devoted. But she's unable to recognize his resurrected form. Whose Jesus has defeated death in his resurrection, who stands before me, this is what he came to do. You see, I wonder if the question here to Mary is a similar question that we need to ask ourselves. Who is it that you are looking for? When we come to a passage like this, do we come with our own preconceived ideas about Jesus? He's some bloke who did some pretty amazing things, sure, but to rise from the dead? Surely not. But are you willing to be challenged by Jesus here? To look above your preconceived ideas and recognise Jesus for who he reveals himself to be. He is the, the risen one, the one and only who has risen from the dead, who actually said, uh, leading up to this point, he'd said that he would die and come back to life. And so if he said that he... He said this would happen, that he would die and come back to life, and this is what's happened. Surely we can trust the things that he says. Well, Mary's still in the dark. But with a word, the light dawns. Have a look here at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And hearing one word makes all the difference. Hearing Jesus say, Mary, she recovers from her blindness. She is transformed. She believes. Mary hears Jesus and believes. Hearing is believing. And with a word, well, Mary believes and she falls at his feet and and clings to them. But have a look at Jesus' response there in verse 17. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. You see, Jesus isn't talking about touching him. We'll see later that Jesus invites Thomas to to touch his resurrected body, to prove it's really him. And so that's not what's going on here. You see, Mary was clinging on to Jesus for dear life in a sign of saying, please, please, please don't leave again. And it, and it kind of reminds me, I get this picture of a parent who's, who's trying to leave their house and a child is clinging to their legs saying, please don't go, please don't go. 
And, and by this action, well, Mary is saying to Jesus, please stay here on earth as if you've got more work to do. But what does Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. He's done all he needed to do on earth. You see, he's made the Father known. He's shown us that he's the Messiah in his words and deeds. He's died our death on the cross. And he's now risen from the grave, defeated death once and for all. That's why he came. And his work's completed. And he needs to return to the Father in the ascension. But Mary's clinging to Jesus misses the point. Jesus has done all he's come to, he's come to do. And as the Messiah, God's promised future king, he will reign over all things, not from earth, but in heaven, where he will be seated at the Father's right hand. He will continue his work in heaven, reigning over all things, not here on earth. You see, Mary clinging to Jesus uh, it's really an expression that she thinks his work has not finished, as if there is more he needed to do. And I wonder if we can have that same kind of attitude, where we think that, Jesus, your work hasn't quite finished. And we can kind of think that by adding works on top of the things that he has completed on the cross. We might do it by insisting that we must do this, this particular thing, we may even say that we need to do it, or others may say to us that if we don't do these things, then we're not saved, we're not Christians. But you see, by doing this, it's really to add to the work of Christ. Christ has died once for all. We don't need to add anything that will save us. But you see, we can slip into this unwittingly on, on really good things. And so, for example, reading the Bible Daily is a really good thing to do. Let me encourage you to read the Bible daily. I've, I've used this verse lots recently to help me that, that those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at God's word, let's be people who do that. But you see, we can turn a good thing into a work. If we say something like we must read the Bible every day, and if we don't, well, we can't be Christians. You see, this is the problem I'm talking about. But you see, I do realise I need to tread carefully at this point. For some of us, we actually need a big, a good kick up the backside. Read our Bibles more often. Work out how much time you're spending on other stuff like Netflix or study or whatever it might be. And give time to God by, by reading the scriptures and praying. By reading the scriptures and reflecting on it and responding to God in prayer. Uh, we're talking about this is God's word. God's word is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. Get into it. And while some of us, we need this kick, others, others of us will feel great guilt that we're not reading the Bible often enough and, and question our faith because of that. You see, the point I'm making is that the reading the Bible doesn't save you. It is Christ that saves us. Reading the Bible is a good thing to do, and I want us to encourage you to regularly, on your own, with others, with unbelievers. But to say that if we don't read the Bible, well, we can't be Christians, uh, well, that is adding to the completed work of Christ, and that is not on. Here's just one example, but really there are many things that we can add to the Christian faith. And we must be careful that we don't turn good things, like reading the Bible is a good thing, but we can turn it into a work. 
and take away from from God's grace to us in Christ. Mary's told not to cling to Jesus. Verse 17, go instead to your brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus tells Mary to go Jesus tells Mary to go to the disciples. And did you notice that the family language here? Go to my brothers. He's calling his disciples my brother. Not his servants. They're his family, his brothers. And the family language continues. My father, your father. My God, your God. You see, Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's opened the way for disciples to be part of God's family. And we've seen this from the very start of this book of John's Gospel. That those who believe would become children of God. We can't do what Jesus has done. He is the only one who could die to sin in our place that we could be saved. He's the only one that could do that. But you see, we benefit massively from what he has done. We are now part of God's family. We can call God our Father in heaven. How good is that? Because he has risen. And we too, with faith, we too will rise with him in resurrected life. Mary heard Jesus and believed. And then she told others about Jesus. And this is the way for us. We will never see what they saw. But we actually don't need to see. Because they saw and written it down that we can see, that we can see and hear and believe from the Bible. And so let's not miss the detail here. Like I missed with Michelangelo's David. We can't see for ourselves, but we can read and hear about the eyewitness account who saw on our behalf that we believe. But when we do, we are blessed. For Jesus has risen from the dead. Death has been defeated. And Jesus offers his new resurrected life to those who believe. How good is that? Well, let's pray and thank God for this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, that he was risen from the dead, risen from the grave, that death could not hold him down, that he showed that death had been completely defeated uh, in his rising to life. Father, we thank you for, for the, the eyewitnesses, the, for John, for Peter, for Mary who, who saw this, and particularly for John who wrote that down for us, uh, that we could uh, believe too. And that he highlighted for us actually that, that seeing in believing, actually that was deficient, that actually it, it is uh, more important to actually know this from Scripture. And so, Father, we thank you that we have your word in front of us and that we can see that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we do pray that you would help us cling, whole, cling on to this uh, with, with, with our whole lives, trusting in Jesus, the, our risen Lord Jesus. Father, please help us take these great warnings from Mary 
that we may not add to the work of Christ, uh, but that we may live in lives in line of your grace to us uh, and live in service of you based on what you have done for us. Father, we are so grateful for the new life you have given us in Jesus. Help us live for him each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.